If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real-life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hello, I'm Artur Guya, Cognition Shared Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer, and with me is my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Malen Sivak. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the fifth episode uh, of Between Data and Risk. Uh, today, we'll be talking about Serai, uh, the Hong Kong financial startup launched three years ago under the auspices of HSBC and which is now closing after failing to build a commercially viable business. Uh, we're excited to have with us today our guest, Ambrose Wong, who is the COO of Serai and has agreed to share some of his experience with us. Uh, hello, uh, Ambrose. Hello. Thanks for having so, me. Uh, great. Uh, so you've, you've had uh, quite a, a, a long career in HSBC itself. Uh, you know, we've been together on the aspiring uh, CRO program uh, back in 2018, and uh, shortly thereafter, you uh, joined uh, the, the the what was to become the the Serai uh, startup. Can you tell us uh, a bit more about the, the beginnings and how the idea for Serai uh, and what it is actually? Um, Serai is a um, is a startup um, sponsored by HSBC. So um, you know, back three or four years ago, it started as an idea of we want you know HSBC is, has been a you know for the last hundred and fifty years plus have been um, supporting the trade community by you know providing a lot of, you know actively participating in providing trade finance. And you know there is a strong desire within the bank to say, look, you know, we actually need to do more for the industry, not just by purely providing trade finance, but helping to provide the next generation of you know trade facilitation, uh, enabling trade to happen. So you know there is a question about you know what can we actually do for the community, and and that's what's arise about. You know we actually helping um, there to simplify. You know our vision statement um, is to simplify global trade. That's actually what we actually want to 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 achieve. From right from the beginning, and um, everybody got very excited, and we started our journey three, three, three and a half years ago. Uh, so in, initially, the the platform was supposed to be like uh, I, I, I saw one of the uh, materials where it stated that you've got Facebook for your personal connections, you've got LinkedIn for your professional connections, and Sarai was supposed to be for your company connection. Yeah. Right. So that was the initial platform that was that was offered. And uh, that then kind of the, a lot of pivoting and transformations of the business uh, followed. Uh, was, what, where, was, was that pivoting uh, kind of to, uh, as a source of innovation uh, or was, was it more kind of trying to uh, chase uh, a, a specific, uh, you know, audience? Uh, why, why, why so many ideas in such a short time? I think um, for a combination of reasons, right? So um, you know, we have a very bold um, statement, vision statement that I just mentioned earlier that you know, we want to simplify global trade, but that's a huge problem to solve, right? So within the whole soft trade industry, there are different, you know, the, um, the, 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 
within the larger end of our customers, right? You know, the larger traders, their problem statement is actually quite different um, to their peers at the smaller end, right? You know, whereas, for example, if you're if you're a larger buyers and sellers, your challenge is not trying to find your suppliers. You probably have developed a very steady um, uh, um, supply chain already. The challenge for them is about simplifying their global supply chain. Whereas for your smaller manufacturers and smaller um, uh, uh, buyers, they're actually trying to find, okay, what well, is the right supply chain for me? So the, the problem statement actually quite quite different. So we actually got ourselves into a very exciting space of you know, there are a lot of different problems that we can actually solve. And um, so 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 we actually need to we, we actually need to kind of work out you know where we actually want to spend our time and, and, and energy on and um, and you know also you know, we we do have offices we do both have offices and then we actually go and do testing not everything uh, works out right you know after we do analysis and we do this uh, we would actually and the research would actually suggest us you know okay this may not be a path that we actually want to take. Um, quickly, and then we actually we actually need to pivot. That's you know one. I guess secondly, it's also I mean we started our um, our company at a at a you know, just before COVID. We, we kind of you know we we formed the company like you know in in 20, 2019, and then COVID started hitting in twenty twenty. So the whole global supply chain actually changes forever. Right, you know the the problem statement or you know when we actually the, the type of research and you know the 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 problem statements that people share with us within the industry in twenty nineteen is very different to you know what we actually asked them in twenty twenty. So again, that actually you know we will have to um, tailor our solutions to the new problem statements and help um, our our target customers. We recorded a whole podcast on surviving paradigm shifts. And uh, we we discussed it, uh, yeah. But we are living in another paradigm shift right now. Uh, my question: You 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 were company CEO, uh, chief operating officer. Uh, I would like to ask you uh, about how you, did you organize your operations at the beginning? Like, what was your plan for the for the processes? What was your uh, planning? Because uh, you started pretty big. I'm. It was around 100 people, I think, if I remember yeah, correctly. Uh, at different stages of, um, you know, we have you know, uh, up to 100 people um, at, at different stages. But then um, I think, look, you know, as a digital startup, I mean, we look, we try not to um, develop um, operations, right? You know, we, we would actually work out and say, okay, well, you know, if this is digital propositions, it needs to be digital, right, from the beginning, rather than, Actually, you know, go and let's let's start building some manual processes. And now there, there were, you know, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to lie and say that there, there were many processes. But if we actually have to, then um, you know, we would, you know, if we actually have the opportunity to actually build a fully digital process, then why not, right? So there is actually very little um, physical operations that that we actually have um, to to support um, our business model. All right, thank you. And. When you when you kind of uh, when you started, it was supposed to be a platform. So, was the vision to provide software or a service or a combination of both? Because this is obviously the, these these three paradigms are, are approached very differently. I think towards um, one of our um, one of our solutions is a is a SaaS 
solution, you know, software as a solution, that we actually help um, customers to map their supply chain. Right. So one of the problem statements for the larger um, for for the uh, for the larger suppliers and and and, and buyers is not about. Um, um, I mentioned earlier that their, their challenge is not about finding another supplier, right? Because they actually mm-hmm. have a pre supply chain already. But it's actually getting an end-to-end understanding of their supply chain, right? From the you know a lot of the a lot of the brands and buyers out there, they have a very good knowledge about who their immediate suppliers are and what do they do and you know, what is their standard, etc. But as you actually go further up tier two, what we call tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers, you know, all the way from you know who's actually supplying you this piece of garment to you know who actually uh, who actually plants and produce the cotton that is used, right? So they, as you actually go deeper and deeper into that, you know, they not necessarily have all those information that they actually need. And um, you know, as the world has evolved, and there's a lot of regulations, and um, uh, that requires us to have that knowledge, uh, whether that's for, in, in, and that's a lot of them is actually for ESG purposes, right? You know, to, to actually meet the social standard, because um, to actually meet the environmental standards, if you actually want to produce a garment and claim and, and, and be compliant with different, you know, carbon emission standard of, um, you know, uh, then you actually need to know who your suppliers are and whether they're actually meeting those carbon emission standards as well. So they, there's a huge demand of you know uh, of tools and to help them to actually understand and provide the data of that end-to-end supply chain, which is um, uh, which is an industry challenge at the moment, and that's space that we're actually in. I I I I concur. I <clears throat> I had a pleasure to to work with uh with the Rekit company and they are really big on sustainability and social responsibility and it's not just on paper i must admit but i admire this company for that and uh tracking the source of all the components used was was a big uh big thing for them they wanted to know exactly if what they produce was produced uh, responsibly and and uh, mm, mm, sustainably so it is it is it, it it is a challenge plus it's a great opportunity for data science to start influencing and optimizing supply chains and uh, also from from my experience getting the proper data to optimize supply chains is is a headache having it on one platform would be would be amazing thing to just you know be able to to, to download it or upload our models the whole demand forecasting uh, would be would be amazing to to have it so uh, your uh, the the serai Ser- platform uh, if, when customers got the the the, the software you, you mentioned software as a service they they, they received it. did they receive any uh, kind of support in terms of additional data sources or expertise that was uh, on top of the of the software solution what we were trying to help them with is actually build out that network, right? To actually gain. So, I mean, the information, um, the, um, as I mentioned earlier, so the, a lot of the brands, they would actually have, their immediate, they, they would actually know who the immediate suppliers mm-hmm. are. So, and the tier one would know who the tier two, the tier two would know who the tier three suppliers are, right? The problem is that, you know, that data actually sits with, 
you know, each in the individual supplier, right? And within their layer, it doesn't necessarily um, uh, get transferred to um, a long supply chain. So that's actually, and, and that's where we actually need to have a, a and there's no systematic way mm -hmm. to collect that information. Um, and so you know, would Serai then go to those uh, third, uh, third, fourth level suppliers and connect them to the platform and ask them for the data so that, or what was it the client's responsibility to actually get those uh, that that trace that chain and use the platform as a as a database to pretty, pretty much uh, yeah, as a tool to actually help them to to trace that. Okay, and uh, you know it's an interesting choice the the the, the garment industry. Uh, was there a particular uh, reason why this this particular uh, segment was was selected as opposed to, for example, uh, you know, food, which is which is always big on on kind of the origin, or or electronics. Um, I think if we actually uh, in in the early research that we've done, I mean, a this is I mean the the size of the industry and the opportunity is huge. Um, but also, I mean, when we're actually talking to the suppliers and the and and, and brands, um, you know, having building now what we're actually trying to build is actually transparency all the way into you know your supply chain, right? So um, a lot of if if you if if one of the suppliers thinks that, look, you know, I'm not going to share that information with you because that is actually my secret sauce, right? I'm not going to let you know who mm -hmm. my suppliers are. Then that won't work if, you know, if they have, you know, because this is actually trying to build transparency. But when we're actually talking to the industry participants, transparency is not an issue, there, right? They long for that transparency and, and it's not the, um, you know, and having the supply chain you know, details is not a secret sauce because if, if that's the only thing that they actually hold on to create their business, they said, look, you know, according to them, they, 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 um, they wouldn't have a business because, um, you know, they, and they actually need to create, you know, I'm actually getting stuff from my suppliers, but I actually need to add value and actually do something that before I actually mm -hmm. further supply it to my, my, my customers. So, so, and that is, that is very important to us, right? That, have, um, that transparency is not a barrier. So, and hence our choice. If I could take st st a step back, and we, we, we spoke recently with a gentleman who was supporting startups and was investing in startups and trying to, we, we had a discussion about the way he tries to help and support uh, his, uh, his portfolio. Uh, I would like to, 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 to make a step back and ask you about your uh, experience being founded by Tier One Bank and uh, like having this. Big brother hanging, you know, uh, behind your shoulder. Uh, like, what are the the bright sides? Let's start with the bright sides of you know. Besides, besides, of course, having having the money. Like, uh, what did you get from working with such a reputable big uh, organization as HSBC is? I I think one of them is um, the confidence that we actually get from our customers as well. Right, you know, so you know, if we it's a it's a big problem in the industry to to solve. But then, you know, for a startup with no background, with no um, trail record, um, to come and approach some of the biggest brands and say, look, you know, trust us, you know, we will be able to build. You know, even if you're actually presenting a really good idea, but then we we'll say trust us and actually uh, let us build something for you. Um, it's difficult. It's, it will be a very difficult to sell, right? Um, whereas um, um, having the 
hacking from a, uh, a big investors like you know HSBC that actually adds um, weight to that, and also a lot of those um, a lot of those companies are are customers of HSBC. Now we actually operate very independently from HSBC, um, so uh, what we do is not um, you know HSBC really are investors, um, but you know they would be able to um, um, connect us with um, some of the industry participants who are also their customers and say, look, you know, we're interested in speaking to Sarai and that also that introduction um, helps as well. So I think those are, are really useful for us to actually get our first step where, you know, if you are just a, a, a startup, a random startup, um, you know, trying to actually build that confidence in the B2B world um, is a big challenge. The credibility and obviously uh, the, the 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 management of uh, of Serai was composed of of very experienced uh, individuals like yourself sourced directly from the HSBC um, pool of 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 talent. So I, I I think that the strength of the of the management team there must have been a, a real advantage as well. Absolutely right. So you know we have a, a number of us actually moving. Um, you know have. Um, strong banking experience, um, and you know, that also is an investment um, that that we have made um, into the company. That also would be able to help um, with again, you know, to, to give our customers more confidence about uh, what we're actually building mm -hmm. as well. Were there any downsides, like you know, offset to because building credibility, you know, we we know from experience, even we are you know on the on the on the market for fifteen years. Uh, building credibility is is still a challenge. Uh, people don't know us. We are not, you know, McKinsey. Uh, so, is there any any price? Do you need to, you know, sell your soul and kidney? Uh, any anything that you would consider I, like? Not sure. I wouldn't say downside as such, but look, you know, building on what I just mentioned earlier. I mean, we we build that credibility, and you know, we. You know, having 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 such a strong background actually gives us the the initial kickoff of you know you know the, the customers' faith in us, you know. But we can't take that for granted, right? So we actually need to put in extra hard work, and there's repetition risk if we actually deliver a solution that doesn't meet the standard, right? So um, so right from day one, we actually um, try to develop solutions at to a, uh, we hold ourselves to a very high standard, which. Again, you know, requires a lot more sweat and tears and hard work by the team, um, and also investment, right? You know, um, to to building the solution up to a um, the standard that we would like that to, um, and you know, with risk management coming into play as well, where we would actually making sure that you know our, our controls that we actually build into the, uh, the 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 tools and systems that we're building the sort of rigor in the sort of testing of the of the solutions that we deploy um would need to meet the standard that uh we would hold ourselves accountable to when you mentioned the controls i uh it actually brings a lot of discussions we had with with, with arthur to mind where we were talking about the con controls of the risk and now uh, i'm not sure if, if if you are you know allowed to, to to say but you know would you tell us about the the, the the risk controls that you that you had and like what was the moment that you decided okay this is this is uh, this is the risk 
the, the, the risk is too big. You know, we are exceeding our risk appetite. Like how, how was the risk built in, in the startup? How was the risk framework? I, I think, um, so, I mean, look, you know, building a solution like this, you know, one of the biggest risks is around resilience risk, right? You know, um, and so we would actually look at, okay, this tool is a tool that's very important to our customer, right, on the supply chain management. And then we actually look at, okay, well, so then what's the, what's the service uptime? What's the um, service of agreement that we actually need to have? And um, that sort of stuff. And then therefore, you actually need to, you know, to, to maintain a to, to maintain a, a a high standard on the um, on that service. Then you actually need to aid, you know, when during development, you actually need to have more robust testing, right? You need to actually um, have more cybersecurity checks and controls in place. You need to invest in people. You actually have um, uh, um, to be there, right? You know, around the clock. You actually provide the support in case it actually goes down, right? And to take actions on that. So those are again, you know, upfront investment um, and controls that we actually need to build to 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 maintain that standard, right? Whereas, um, um, yeah, I guess you know, if we if we um, choose not to um, deliver to such a high standard, then you will not necessarily have as, as many people, for example, just to be standby on just in case you have questions coming up, right? You know, or, or, or the system went down and you need to help customers. Well, uh, in, in the history of Serai, the, the, I, I want to go back to the, to the pivots a bit because there was the, the agreement with uh, the, the, the partnership which was signed with, with Coface to bring the uh, credit uh, solution, uh, the lending solution onto the, the platform. Then there was the uh, setting up of the almost, I think, separate entity, if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Serai Technology, which was supposed to deliver, deliver software. Uh, so those, uh, those must have greatly expanded the risk uh, horizon of the, of the company. Uh, do you think that uh, you know, it, they, they required uh, much change in the approach to, to, to risk, or was there a, like a, a mm, complete solution that uh, Serai was uh, employing to cover, cover all? I think, so, you know, it is our philosophy, right, that we do not necessarily want to build everything ourselves, right, that, um, you know, all the solutions are available on the platform, because, I mean, if you're trying to build everything, um, it, it's a trade-off, right, you can actually go and build everything yourself, but then your, um, the amount of time um, to, um, to, to, to be able to release something and actually have a a, a more complete uh, suite of solutions available that's required, um, that's um, that would take much longer. Whereas you know you can actually partner with people who actually are in industry experts um, and have readily available solutions that you can actually connect. Um, that would be um, you know, that would deliver much more value to our customers uh, instead of trying to create the view, right? Now, but I guess, yeah, coming to your point about the risk that what we need to be, to me, you know, it's very clear that what we need to be um, very clear to our customers when they actually go through the, um, the journey of using the platform and then accessing other solutions offered by our partners on the platform. You know, they, now, clearly there, there are standards that we have in, um, that our partners need to meet. We don't just randomly put anyone on the platform, right? And make solutions available. 
But then there, so there are due diligence that we actually do. But equally, I think our customers actually have to need to know that they are, you know, if they're using a, let's say, pop in, right? That, that actually, that pop in is coming from us or that pop in is actually coming from someone else. Right. And then they, you know, they may need to sign in other terms and conditions and contracts, et cetera, with, with, with that third party. And it needs to be very, very transparent. Right. So that they actually, they can decide. They, and they can also, they, they can decide um, uh, um, what risk they are taking themselves by moving into, uh, moving into a, a contract with an additional party. So, um, so that's kind of my, you know, I, my, my, my philosophy as well, that you know, we actually don't necessarily need to, uh, again, if we actually try to, um, uh, try to um, do due diligence on everything, try to do everything, like, you know, um, test everything to, de- to death and make sure everything's bulletproof, um, similar to building it, then it will actually, it will, it will, it's the speed to the market where that will actually be, be a problem, right? But then we, if we actually be transparent to our customers, that they know what they actually that they they know what they're using, they know who is actually producing and providing services um, for them, uh, whether that's through, um, you know, us or whether that's someone else, then they can actually um, make that decision. So the transparency towards towards the clients about the the, the structure of, of what you deliver and how you deliver is an element of building this credibility and and uh, trust, uh, which. You, as you said, cannot be taken for granted. It's something that is, you have a head start, but but you need to really work hard to to, to deliver. Absolutely, and I mean, I mean, some examples are actually, I mean, the, the way I actually used to think is that you know, if you order things from delivery room, right now, and if you actually get um, uh, food poisoning, you know, you don't complain about delivery; you complain about the restaurant. Now. It could be delivery will actually, you know, on the way actually, you know, contaminating. There, there could be issues, but generally, you you know exactly that delivery is actually providing the delivery service, whereas the restaurants are producing your meals for you. Uh, so uh, in in two thousand in two thousand twenty one, uh, Sarai was uh, appearing to be in, in in a great shape. In in August two thousand twenty one, uh, your your CEO uh, Vivek Ramachandran uh, stated that there is exponential uptake uh, and uh, that in the first quarter there were two hundred fifty companies, which then grew to nine thousand companies. Uh, so it looked like uh, the, the the kind of the components of success were all, were already there. You had the funding, you had the uh, the, the the customer uptake, you had the, the platform. Uh, now uh, at at that time, going going back in your mind to to that time, how was the 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 kind of the feeling about the risks? Because this this is already you know in the COVID era. Uh, how was the feeling in, in the company? What, what what was considered the biggest risk uh, then? I think so. The you know the, the market demand is there, right? For and, and the problem statement is there. Um, the world is evolving, right? But I think the um, so and, and we actually seeing let's say you know we actually seeing uptake in in in, um, in our solutions, which is uh, I, I think we were all very excited about that. But there are, uh, I mean, you know, the risk to the business is always how you, um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a commercial business. 
So we need to be able to deliver uh, an appropriate return within an appropriate time frame, um, you know, on 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 the business. So I guess that's always always a, a it's something that's in the back of our mind. We know that we not only do we actually need to um, uh, deliver a, a business outcomes, but it also needs to be uh, you know within a reasonable time frame turned into uh, a commercially viable business. So, uh, in uh, given given that all the all all the components of, of success uh, were were kind of present, uh, what caused the what do you think caused the the, the decision to to cut down? Well, I think look, you know, so um, for now, well, um, the challenge for us is actually building a commercially viable viable business. Right, the um, ability to um, turning so you know uh, having a lot of uptake um, is is fantastic, right? So people are actually seeing it, seeing the value of it. People are actually um, using it, um, and people are, are, are elevating it, right? But then um, you know when um, um, I, I think the challenge is to turning that into. Um, uh, uh, turning into a sustainable revenue model, right? A um, mm -hmm. and you know on a you know repeated basis, um, that is um, certainly uh, and and within a within an appropriate time frame, frame. So, for example, in building a um, a SaaS solution, solving a new problem in the industry, the sales cycle could be actually quite long, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know because the customer itself are also learning about the problem. They are also um, figuring out what is the best approach to tackle that problem. And there are other competitors offering different suggestions of how to actually solve that problem, right? So, you know, to, for, for, for them to actually make that decision is actually, it, it could um, sometimes six months, um, if not longer. Right, so that is um, not an easy um, challenge for us to solve if we actually want to build a you know, at this stage build a commercially viable business on a standalone basis. So uh, I, I actually had I had a look uh, through um, through the internet, and uh, there, the, as you say, there are uh, actually quite a number of companies. I looked for for the, the keywords vertical integration, and it's funny that. Uh, the, the most of the the kind of startups that uh, come up under that combination of those two words uh, actually deal with with garments and with fashion. Uh, so it's it does seem to be a, a, a very hot topic. Uh, so uh, do you think that uh, you know in a in a slightly different uh, maybe market market uh, uh, environment, slightly different circumstances? It would still be viable to to raise the same platform back from the ashes and 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 try again. I you know I certainly you know I certainly see again the market opportunity being there, right? Um, and you know, not only within the just the clothing garment industry, but in the wider industry. I mean, it, again, it actually goes back to the fact that nowadays, I mean, in the past when people are actually doing supply chain, they're looking for the lowest cost option, right? And that's how you know, globalization, that's how people actually build the supply chain. Um, 
And but now, as you know, when we're actually talking about supply chain, people are talking about resilient supply chain. Right? People are talking about a supply chain that you know, um, that satisfy um, that's green, right? That satisfy carbon emission um, uh, standards. We're also talking about supply chains that meet social standards. Is there uh, are they are they actually using sufficient safety standards uh, along supply chain? You know, are they paying uh, appropriate wages? Are they using child labor? Are they using forced labor? Right, those are issues that people actually talk about. Um, and you need to be able to demonstrate that, right? And you then you need to have knowledge and data that you can actually show your regulators to show your customers that um, you meet those claims and expectations. So there is there is still a huge um, need from the market, um, I think. Um, uh, but timing, I think, is is tricky. As I mentioned, look, you know, if you um, you know, the the a lot of industries uh, participants are still kind of working their way through. You know, what is the best way um, to uh, tackle that problem? Um, there are multiple options to do that. Um, so it's still a very hot topic within the industry. So I, so I, I, I think that I'm, I'm confident that the market opportunity is still there. Um, the approach and how we actually deal with and tackle the problem that will also make commercial, uh, commercially sound business is the challenge, right? Um, and mm-hmm. um, and that's where um, you know the industry um, will need to continue to work on. Uh, and it, it, I wanted to uh, kind of ask you about your personal experience because we 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 talked a lot about the the the, the company itself, but uh, you know going into this uh, into this venture must have been something uh, completely completely new. Uh, so uh, can you kind of uh, talk to us about what what uh, what were you expecting going into into Serai from 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 HSBC? Did 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 that meet your expectations? And, and what, what was the biggest lesson learned for you personally? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely a very interesting experience for me. I mean, you know, my life has been working in, um, in HSBC or the likes of HSBC, big corporate environment, um, where there are hundreds of thousands of people within the organization. Um, uh, moving into a much smaller startup where um, we, we basically build everything from scratch, right? And it's a small company. Um, we have a very clear vision statement. We know that there is a clear problem statement that we're actually trying to solve. The energy level in trying to, um, to solve the problem is fantastic, right? And um, it's, it's very different to a big corporate environment. So moving, I think for me, actually moving into a... Um, a, a, a small and young company like that is, you know, for me, you know, I always you know, look forward to actually seeing the energy level, right? The truly demonstrating the can-do culture, trying to solve problem. How could we, um, um, how could we actually uh, uh, come up with solutions very quickly and let ourselves fail, fail very quickly? Because um, actually in the regulated environment, um, you know, failing quickly, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, right? You know, because <laughs> there we we need to be uh, we need to be very careful um, with some of that. So uh, moving into that is you know being able to test different stuff, um, 
it's certainly a very exciting um, period of time for me um, personally. And um, also, I mean, working with so the type of talents that we also attract within Sarai is very different to the type of talents that we would see in a in a banking environment. Um, a lot of these people have share similar vision. They actually share that um, you know the the same problem statement in the trade industry. Some of them actually uh, probably have their own business themselves, uh, run business themselves in the past. Have um, seen problems as well in the past. Um, they are very keen to solve those problems um, themselves as well. And you know, having you know, being in the mix of them, I certainly increased the average age of the company by you know, hugely. Uh, but you know, working with those young people and um, you know their attitude, the way that they actually um, challenge a lot of our thinking, right? And also removing a lot of you know being in a small smaller company, and you remove, you take away a lot of the bureaucracy, right? You, you just things can happen so quickly. Um, and you know, you you ask me about questions of you know pivot you know quite a few times already within three years, but that's because. Our organization, our people actually allow us to do that. And we actually, we can actually build a product and release it, a, build a decent product and, you know, save and control the product within a few months and actually release. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, that is very satisfying. That sounds, sounds, sounds absolutely great. Uh, how, uh, do you think it would be possible to somehow transplant elements of this culture to the big corporate? Corporate, what what would need to change in the corporate environment uh, to enable this, maybe not this, but let's say going into direction of this level of flexibility and and uh, going into direction of this, as you said, energy. Uh, because of course there are a lot of repetitive tasks which are you know well structured processes and they need to be like that. But you know I don't know. Uh, we are living in the in the paradigm shifting example in data uh, in data architecture model. It would be probably advisable for many companies to revise their data architectures, but these are big changes, and these big changes require uh, flexibility. Do you have any, any 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 advice for someone who would like to enable? flexibility of their teams? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, I mean, one of the one of the learnings that I, I, I think is very useful for large corporates is that um, we, you know, in, 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 in large corporates, we have standard process. You know, we see, you know, we, you know, we, we deal with the problems uh, and we have developed our proper processes and controls, you know, over 150 years. Right. So, and, and we build that into our DNA. We build that into our muscle memory. So every time we actually see a, a the same problem, we just live. We just live and drop from our experience that you know from from the past hundred hundred years, and say, okay, well, this is this this is the answer. This is how we actually apply the controls. Um, whereas you know in the startup environment, I would actually go in and look at hang on because we actually don't have you know I, I would have the opportunity challenge, but also. Actually, don't have as much resources to, to apply the same controls as we have established um, within a, a big corporate, right? So I would actually go and say, "Hang on, you know what? What actually is the problem? What actually is the risk that we have uh, with that product or with that solution?" And therefore, 
what is the risk that we actually you know, what is the risk that we actually trying to manage, and therefore what controls we actually need to have, and therefore what is you know, what is the residual risk that that I, I need to I, I, I need to take on whether I'm, and whether I'm happy or not. If not, then I should go back and do a little bit more controls, right? So I think as as that rethinking process, and you know, rather than just you know having experience and memories of of good practice are great, right? But you know we we sometimes forget to actually challenge that, and you know after after 10, 20, 30, 50 years of applying same controls, right? So so I think that's one, right? The the other one is that um, we um, you know again in a small company environment we 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 can um, you can start you always here like you know we we um, you know we, we try and we fail fast right and pick up and do it again right so again this is a, in a large corporate environment um, it's a bit of the culture of you know whether you're actually regulated or not it's the culture of um, whether you actually value that failure. Right, you know, whether you actually have the appetite to, to actually fail or whether you actually need to say, no, I actually need to build, I, I will think through a lot of potential scenarios and I actually need to make sure that my product controls are covered for all of those scenarios before I can actually release a product. And and that makes a product development cycle very, very long and also the investment is required, right? And by the time you actually develop the product, the market opportunity might have gone, right? Um, already. So... How could we actually do a um, small scale POC uh, you know, without making everything perfect? And you know, and we make it clear, we can make it clear to the customers that okay, well, you know, this is a beta version, this is actually testing, um, and let's let's test it out and um, and, and learn from the failings um, in a more controlled environment. I, and I think before we actually start scaling, I think that's something that we could um, do more within large corporate as well. So we we kind of talked about the the advice uh, for for big corporates, but what what about you know a, a lowly entrepreneur who wanted to enter into a, a similar idea? If it, you know if if this is such a big space, obviously there are, there are companies out there, uh, as I mentioned, that, that I found quite quite a number of them that that are entering this that this space, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. They want to to change the world. Uh, but without without the support of uh, HSBC behind them, uh, is there any advice you could give them that that could kind of spur them on the on, on, on their way? I think a lot of um, I mean, look, you know, if you actually look around, a lot of the startups out there um, they start from very small and um, they uh, they they manage to build very very successful products. Um, you know, I actually spent a lot of time um, through the last few years to try and understand different business and business models and how they become so successful, um, despite not having such a background. But I think that nimbleness and that belief in the in um, in the problem um, and also um, uh, also faith in actually faith in developing solutions. So I was. Um, literally uh, just randomly looking at a video and looking at Facebook. Um, you know, when they first built the tool for Harvard, they said, you know, it would be great if you can actually connect, connect um, everyone in Harvard. Um, and um, you know, he also sees the opportunity, Mark also sees his opportunity. He said, look, you know, I'm sure everyone would, it would be great one day that, you know, someone can actually build a tool that connects everyone in the world. So they actually see the problem. Um, but 
the, again, it actually requires a lot of faith in the problem um, and don't lose faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for, for sure a hard thing to do sometimes, I guess. Uh, I've, to, to, maybe I would, I would, I would ask, uh, you were working on a solution on a platform which was connecting a lot of different data points. And uh, my curiosity is like Arthur asked, like, was it just a software or, or, or was it also a service? Did you, uh, out of curiosity, professional curiosity, like, di- did you try to analyze this, this data? Did you have like services? Let's, let, let's, I, I mentioned it earlier. Let's try to, if we have your chain in place, uh, did you try to optimize it on, on the way? I, I, in 2006, I was a, a managing Mm, director in uh, for Eastern Europe in a procurement optimization uh, company, and uh, I remember I was trying to apply uh, software used to model uh, metabolic pathways. In, in uh, my my background is, is biology, uh, I was trying to apply mm, metabolic pathways uh, modeling software to model supply chains. Back then, it was fun. It was fun, if not commercially viable, as it. As it seems. Uh, did, did you try to play with this data as well? Um, we, uh, we haven't spent as much time on that, um, to be honest. Um, so we've been, where we were at was actually building, more building about tool and trying to um, collect the data and get the data point onto the platform. Um, but I fully agree with you. Like, you know, once the data um, are becoming available, and that's also a value that um, that a lot of uh, customers and potential customers are actually seeing on the power of having those data, and you know, not only for themselves, but you know also for the wider community um, to to actually be able to use use that to provide to generate the insights that that they can actually generate. Now, you know, cha- also one challenge is that you, you, you is the data ownership, and when we actually comes to Confidentiality, um, and all that. So, um, you know, all the customers actually, you know, the supply chain that's data that's actually the, the supply chain that's built within the platform and the data associated with that, you know, belongs to the customers, right? So, um, we can actually, we, we discuss with our customers, like, you know, the certain type of service and analytics that we can actually produce and share with them, provide share insights with them. Um, then, you know, beyond that, Connecting different um, uh, supply chains would require a lot of um, you know, uh, consent from customers, um, and that I think it requires a lot of um, effort in getting across as well. I think it would be probably interesting application of of uh, anonymized data processing. There is a really big field of again research and 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 and, and thinking how to um, get the data which is in its nature confidential and make it available for analysis in a way which is not uh exposing the the, the confidential bits it's an example in healthcare you have patient data which is strictly you know confidential but you know there would be a lot of common good if this data could be analyzed in some shape or form so making the data uh, analyzable, uh, if such water exists, which I don't think, 
uh, is a is a really interesting topic on 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 its own. So no, I was just curious if you if you maybe found a solution because I also you know from from my back in my times I remembered how uh, how separate we had to keep some some files and sometimes forget what we learned you know a couple hours earlier. But that's that's the that's the life of the consultants. We 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 have a couple of uh, mm, like professional illness, illnesses. We have very weak uh, sight, even worse hearing, and even worse memory. We can't see anything, we can't hear anything, and we accidentally saw or heard something. We can't remember that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, so, uh, kind of to, to may, maybe uh, wrapping up, uh, a, a question for you: If if you were given uh, kind of a free free range, if you know HSBC came to you uh, again and said, you know, we want to back something, here's uh, here's money on the table. What would be your 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 next big idea? Where where would you take your your imagination? No, oh, I haven't thought about that. Um, you caught me there, but um, I think actually one thing you will see that um, uh, and this is public. Uh, 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 so so HSBC is um, currently actually further investing on embedding their solutions onto platforms. Right, so um, you know, if you actually look at the, you know, a, a lot of business, um, are and a lot of trade business are actually happening happening through different platforms, whether that's Amazon, whether that's the B two C platforms, whether that's B two B platforms, right? A lot of them are actually embedded. So you know, how can you know, um, uh, corporates or banks or other institutions actually work together? Through the platforms that provide. I mean, from a customer journey perspective, right? If I can actually go on to a website and you know go through a platform, I want to order this, right? And then I can click another button and I can say, look, you know, I can I want to finance this. I click another button that I actually want to um, have insurance on this, um, and I click another button and I actually get another service related to this, and have your full suite of um, solutions attached to that. I think that's great. Right, so you know, it's something that's um, you know, and, and you know, that would be something that's very interesting. Um, and in fact, I think a lot of um, people are starting to look into that, if not already, um, working together with the platforms and offering um, different solutions um, to that. And also using sounds like very interesting, uh, indeed. Yeah. Uh, do do you think do you think we're going to get any, any anywhere there there soon? Because this this reminds me of something that I heard a long time ago. Uh, I remember when uh, um, uh, Bill Gates was uh, and Microsoft were introducing uh, uh, the, the application de description language that they they later incorporated in in .NET. They had they had actually this the, the this this example that you're you're watching a film. And there's this, you know, you, you, you like the jacket that the actor is actually wearing. So why not have an option to order this jacket yeah. right straight there from, from the application? And that, that was easily 15 years ago. Now, I, I haven't seen any, anything like this. What, what you mentioned is going even further because it's not only what you see, but also what's connected having all this intelligence about you know if you if you're buying this product maybe maybe you want the service with it maybe you want this this kind of additional product all this intelligence is still to be kind of mined and discovered it's it's it looks like the future is uh, still waiting yeah. but uh, there's plenty of opportunity 
Absolutely, and also I guess you know we 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 talk about you know um, financial inclusion and you know SMEs having challenge in actually getting financials, partly because they don't have the financial statements, they don't have the assets, they don't have the record. But you know, can we actually use the footprint that they actually have in these platforms to actually help us with a credit decision on the SMEs, right? So um, and and with more solutions that you actually use and they increasing their digital footprint. That will also help provide um, uh, um, more data to help with that model. Obviously, all the all the considerations around people's privacy have to be factored in, and uh, you know uh, we don't want to go, to to go suddenly into a dystopia where you're bombarded from all sides uh, with uh, ads for everything that that you could think of. Uh, we want to maintain some sanity. Uh, okay. I th- I think this was this was. Fascinating, uh, Ambrose. I, th- I think this is this gives us a, a very unique insight into a, a um, you know a, a venture that well, unfortunately, uh, has been shut down, but has has gone through some very exciting uh, pivots. And and uh, uh, I think you know, I, I think I'm not mistaken if I if I say that your your experience is really unique. And uh, gr- thank you for sharing it. Absolutely, uh, you're welcome. Very valuable. Uh, I think this is uh, all that we have uh, time for. So let's let's hope it was of use to someone. Thank you for listening. Don't miss the next episode where we'll be talking about transverse risk management. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit bdr.show to find out more about the future episodes and guests. You can also check out Cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Threat Solutions, our services and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Artur Guya, and from my uh, co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak. Thank you very much. Bye.